This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name is Rachel Turner, and this, well, first of all, I have to say, I I know, I know. I was born and raised in Southern California. I've lived in this country, though, for like 18 years now. And at this point, I feel like my body should acclimate. But I'm fighting it, guys. I'm fighting the let's put the central heating on battle. I always hit this around mid-September, and my brain is saying, you shouldn't have to, but my body's like, I'm so cold. And I watch the thermometer in my house and I'm like, it's 17 in here. That's unacceptable. So just as a pondering question, what is an acceptable inside temperature for your house? Because that I feel like there's a vast difference between 17.5 and 18, and it's very emotional for me, guys. Anyways, this week, we are talking about King Saul and how I think he is the hero of, well, not the, he's one of the heroes of the David and Goliath story. And I am personally, as a parent and a children's pastor and family's pastor, challenged by how King Saul handled David and Goliath. And so I'm going to share some thoughts on that. Uh, one of my team has pulled a question from one of our Facebook lives uh, so that you can uh, sort of get a little snapshot of what those are like. We'd love for you to join us. It happens on every 10th Monday. Uh, And so if it's a Monday and it's a 10th, then think, hey, a Facebook Live is probably happening. And uh, we do specific topics uh, for zero to fives. And then we we apply that same topic to five to 11s and to teen parents. It's a great time. So check out our Facebook page about that. And our wild card section is an interview with someone called Crystal Ching. She is a specialist in children, well, children, young adults going to uni. And uh, we asked her specific questions about how we as parents can continue to parent and support our children when they leave our homes, whether they're going to uni, whether they're becoming more engaged outside the home, when, when they begin to become separated from us. How do we keep parenting and supporting them in that phase? She's going to add our wisdom to that. So uh, that's our program today. But first, uh, if you want to actually like read before I talk about it. This is the story of King Saul. Well, it's the story of David and Goliath. Now, we all know the story of David and Goliath. It is in 1 Samuel 17, if you're like, I would like to go and read the whole story. Um, If you don't remember the story, the story of David and Goliath, um, that the sort of short version that we all hear is that the Israelites were on one side and the Philistines were on the other and uh, they were going to do a big battle. But instead, one big giant guy came out and would say, hey, send out one person to fight. And then if I win, then we win. And if you win, then you can take us all as slaves. And won't that be great? And everyone was so scared of this huge giant guy that nobody would fight him until this little boy, David, came and said, I'll fight him. And so it was taken to King Saul. And King Saul was like, I guess so. And so tried to give him his armor and it didn't fit David. So David was like, I'm not going to wear this armor because it doesn't fit me. I'm going to go just fight the way I want to and went and found some rocks and took his slingshot out to the field of battle and threw the slingshot and it knocked the giant down and he went and cut the head off of the giant and the Israelites won. That's my, that's my summary, my quick summary. And, uh, and we tend to sort of sneer at Saul for like, 
what an idiot. <laughs> One, he's too scared to fight. And two, then this kid comes along and he tries to put this child in adult armor. Like, how lame is this man? And then goes on out. And King Saul has always scared me because... Uh, as a leader, as someone in, you know, working in church leadership and, and working, I, I, Saul scares me because I feel like all of us can turn into King Saul. King Saul was so focused on his power and his um, trying to cling to his position that he ended up sort of losing his integrity and God ended up leaving him and he didn't even notice. Like that is just scary. Scary. So Saul, in my head, I've always been like, no matter what, I just don't want to be like Saul. Like, I have an open hand, God, like whatever you want. Uh, and as I was re-pondering over how terrible Saul was, I um, I was struck by he has this glistening, mighty moment of faith and trust in a way that I don't think I ever have. And I thought, oh, gosh. Uh, there's something I have to learn from Saul. Uh, and I think I just want to look at the story. Have you ever looked at the story from King Saul's point of view? He is responsible for the lives of entire nation. He is leading a terrified army who is ill-prepared to face this very sophisticated Philistine army. They, The Philistines were, were Greek seafarers who were sort of invading the country. They had, they had good... They had great art. They had good weapons. They um, they were experienced, and they these little Israelites you know, didn't have the the technology, I guess, to stand up to them. And King Saul is responsible for the women and the children and the men and for all of this huge army. And he's frozen. It's a huge burden of responsibility and the weight of that. How, how would I be able to say, okay, I'm I'm going to go fight? for my entire nation and the lives of everybody in my nation? Or is there even someone who would be strong enough to do that? And if no one was willing, I'd be paralyzed too. And my heart began to really feel like, oh gosh, King Saul was in a tough position. And then here comes David, this child who comes in really arrogantly. <laughs> I love how David comes in. He comes in and basically starts bad-mouthing everybody behind their back. He's he's making such a stir. He makes such a nuisance of himself. He's poking around. He's asking annoying questions. He's insulted that no one would step up to fight. He's just like being naive, you know, to many people's eyes. And King Saul could have just rolled his eyes and been like, young people are lame. And instead, he had this child brought to him, like, go bring me the child who's asking annoying questions, because I want to hear what he has to say. So he brings him, and he actually listens to this child's complaints and the rumblings that this kid has, and the faith this child has. And he absolutely recognized faith and trust in God, and like got really stirred by it, was like, yes, you are saying truth. You are speaking encouragement about who God is, and, and what he is going to do. David was saying, you know, we can do this. You know, if, if God is in it, you know, we can do this. And and he was so stirred that 
he let David fight. And I find this fascinating that he didn't just go, I will listen to your words. <gasps> I am strengthened now. And now I feel faith in God. I shall now go out and do this. He recognized faith in a child and said, okay, child, the weight of the nation is here. And you have so seen a bit of God that I'm going to trust God's ability to work through a child. I'm going to put the fate of every other child in this nation, every other man, every other woman, and me in the hands of God, because I see God in you. And tries to give him his armor and equip him, which I think was much more about his authority. He was sort of saying, this kid has the authority of the king. This kid has this, and it didn't work for the kid. So the kid goes away, goes out onto the field. And and King Saul waits with everybody else to see was the God bit that was in this child right? And I personally was just so challenged by that. I would just really encourage you to go read the David and Goliath story again, 1 Samuel 17, with God in, with Saul's relationship with God in mind. Because I'm just so challenged in my ev- average everyday parenting life. Am I looking for my child to have such truth and insight into what God is doing in our family life, in my life? Am I willing to see the strength of God's truth in them and to let it impact me? Am I willing for them to say, actually, I think we should go back, or I think God's asking us to do this, or, you know, we should stop being afraid of this and to actually not only take that on board, but make them powerful within those decisions. If we really believe that our kids can be on a journey with God, if we really believe that they are co-journeyers with us, then we've got to take a page out of Saul's book and knowing all of the responsibility and authority that sits on our shoulders, be looking and listening for the wisdom and the God truth that is coming through our children because they are on their journey with God and he speaks to them. They are chewing over scripture. They are chewing over stories and they may have insight and ways forward and wisdom and purposes that God is speaking to them about, that we can learn from and empower, that we may all see something more of God. So yeah, let's spend some time being like King Saul. Sam Bailey has a jumped in with a question. When talking with children about Solomon, David, Jacob, who all have multiple wives and concubines, I get asked by the older children, eight to 11 year olds, why is it okay for them to have lots of relationships, but we can't have more than one relationship? How would you advise to tackle this with, question this children? Excellent question, Sam Bailey. Um, I want to know how you answer it. Also type it in. I want to hear your wisdom. Um, That's really interesting. Uh, What I do sometimes is I look at the culture for them. And I say, culture is really different. People lived in, in different countries and for different reasons and different things. At that time, which is, you know, thousands of years ago, um, at that time in that culture, um, one person would have multiple wives. Now, partially that probably, and this is me guessing, and it's really helpful to say what you're guessing and what you're not guessing. Uh, but you say, I'm guessing when I look at it, um, back then women died a lot in childbirth. It was really, really, 
um, difficult because we didn't have the same medical advances that we've had now. And giving birth is a really scary and dangerous thing, actually. And women died in, in childbirth a lot. And if they were going to have families that grew and sustained and continued, um, having, having one wife at a time could have been, I'm totally guessing here, a problem. Uh, sometimes it's just how culture developed where um, it used to be that the man was the most important and the man was the most important and women were sort of expendable. And so it was all about the man and, and what he needed and what he wanted. And if he wanted lots and lots of children so that he could have really big and powerful things, uh, then he would have multiple wives so that he could have lots of children. Uh, because back then it was really all about the man and not really about what the woman wanted. Um, it could be that, it could be so many different reasons. Um, but that was a really specific context for then. And now what we value in our culture is that one person can be with another person and they can be the person that is the best minister of God to that person. And we say that dedicating ourselves and committing ourselves to one person shows us a, a bit of God's heart for us. It shows us that we can take care of someone and say, I'm not going to mess with your heart. I'm not going to hurt your heart. I'm not going to value other people is um, I am going to say you are the most important and I'm going to sacrifice for you so that we together can experience something of God's sacrifice and God's connection with other people. That's, that's how I would do it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I work for an organization that resources churches and parents and schools um, when it comes to the children that they serve from pre-K on, on through university. But I focus specifically on the teenagers. And I also volunteer with a group. They call it a small group, which is hilarious because I have 33 girls in a small group. <laughs> and they're, they're all around 16 or 17 years old. Wow, that sounds great. And you've recently written a book. Um, could you tell us about um, what led you to write that and what the book is? Sure. So I've volunteered in ministry and served in ministry for a long time. Um, I've mentored students for a long time. And one of the things that I've noticed is that our teenagers tend to step away from their faith for a time in college. And research tells us that not only do a large portion of them step away from their faith, but they also have stopped coming back. I think old wisdom would have told us that maybe when they had children or when they had families that they would come back to the church or come back to their faith, and that's not happening anymore. Um, and at the same time, as I've spent time with students in, in this stage of life, leaving the home and headed to university, I've noticed that they're, they're really struggling personally. They struggle with loneliness. Um, they struggle with knowing who they are and what matters to them outside the parents' home. They struggle with making wise decisions with all of the freedom that they have. And so we wanted to create a resource for them to hang on to, particularly in the early days of life at uni. And so this, this book functions as a devotional, but it also is almost like an interactive workbook um, that helps a, helps a teenager figure out who they are and who they want to be when they're in college. 
Great. And you were telling me something really interesting about um, mentoring and finding people to be on their team and to look up to. Lots of what we do at Parenting for Faith is encouraging adults in a children or young person's life to create windows and to frame what's going on in their life. So tell me a bit more about that. For sure. So um, the very first section of the book focuses on finding a healthy community and finding friends. And part of a healthy community is having older, wiser people who can walk alongside you and, and bring wisdom maybe from 30 or 40 or 50 years of experience, not just from 17, 18, or 19 years of experience. And so very early on, we encourage them to find a team of five mentors and advisors, um, assuming that their parents are in that group already. We encourage that your parents are going to be your advisors or your coaches for the rest of your life. But pick five more. And what I found from working with teenagers is that they they know who those people are. They don't know how to ask the question, will you mentor me? Um, it feels awkward. They're not sure how to describe what mentoring is. And so we made it as easy and as practical as possible. We wrote the text message for them. So all you have to do is type this into your phone and click send. Um, and basically it, it tells the adult, hey, I would really like for you to cheer for me or to encourage me or to challenge me during my first semester in university. And the easiest way to sign up to do that is to go to this website, onmyteam.org, and the adult signs up with their email address, and it just reminds them consistently through that semester to have significant conversations with that teenager who's figuring out where they are in life and to ask some significant questions. But my favorite is the very last reminder that they get and it's to have this conversation, who is on your team next? And so it encourages the student to pick mentors and advisors for the semester. And then with those mentors and advisors, they pick a team for the following semester. And what we're hoping is that this begins a pattern or a habit in their life of, of finding older, wiser people and asking them to invest in them personally. Brilliant. It just seems so wise to build a community around them and for it to be more than one or two people as well. We often find that in churches. It's great that parents and carers can invest in children. But when there's other significant adults that they can look up to, that's really helpful too. Amazing. So there might be some people listening to this, Crystal, who have uh, young people leaving home. They can hardly believe it. it was moments since they had toddlers and some who have toddlers who it feels a long way off, but they will get there soon. Um, what advice would you give? to those parents or caregivers at home for how to best support their, their teenager or their young person? Well, the first thing I would say is um, take a deep breath because parenting is not over. It's not going to be over um, really ever. And so I feel like a lot of parents see this as a finish line. It's really just the starting line of a new chapter. They're going to need you now more than they've ever needed you. Um, so don't be so sad that your relationship is ending because it's really not. The second thing I would say is that that relationship is changing. And in fact, that's not just a child rebelling or a child going away to university. That's part of brain development. That at this stage of life, they're going to shift their primary information giver from being the parent to being someone else. And that can be really scary because we don't want them to just pick anyone, right? We don't want them to just listen to whoever 
is answering the questions on the other end of Google. So as, as the primary adult in their lives, we can encourage them and guide them and challenge them to choose older, wiser, other adults, as opposed to just listening to peers. And so that's why that mentoring piece is a really big deal. Um, and then a last piece that I think could actually be really helpful, and, and I'm not sure if it's okay to promote someone else's book on a podcast about a book that I wrote. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> There's a book for parents called um, Parenting Your Emerging Adult, and it's written by Kara Powell and Steve Argue. Um, a lot of the research I did came from there, and I thought it was really, really helpful and practical for parents of any teenager that's over 18. And the question to start an interesting conversation this week is, what is one invention that you think is so awesome that God must have inspired it? He must have been the behind this brilliant invention. What's the one invention that if you could say, oh, I'm pretty sure God himself was whispering into that person's brain, what is it? Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week. And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course, to get in touch, or to find out about training and events near you. Music.